Alright, so I just want to welcome you guys to another installment of the Weird Pastors Kid Podcast. I am your host, Shelton Williams. I have a very, very special guest on the podcast, someone I'm super, super excited to have on. And uh, could you just uh, just say hey to the people? <laughs> Absolutely. Hi, everybody. <laughs> hey, alright. So, well, oh yeah, yeah, also, let them know just your, your first name here for me, and then we'll, we'll keep, keep get going so they know who you are. Sure, absolutely. I'm Tanya Adleta and uh, the founder of Recovering Church Girls, which I think is a lot of how we connected. Yes, yes. Because um, right now, um, my listeners know, we've been going through like a series where I've interviewed people who have left the church or who currently had to have dealt with church hurt and things of that nature. And so when I saw this, because I'm, I'm going through, like as most podcasters do, we're looking at other things and looking at other people and seeing how they do things. And I just like, wait a minute pause, I think Tanya would be <laughs> so great for this podcast. Let me reach out. And I was so, so happy. You were like, yeah, I'd love to. I'm like, yes, this will be great. So, <laughs> well, thank you for the insight. <laughs> no problem. No problem at all. So, yeah, could you just let the listeners know, like, let them know, like, um, how long you've been doing this church thing? Like, when did your your first experience in church? Oh, my goodness. I don't even remember my first experience in church. I grew up in a non-denominational church, which in my mind, I think somehow meant that you know, we were the cool kids because, you know, <laughs> this, this denomination wasn't good enough and that one wasn't good enough. And, you know, we're definitely Protestant. We couldn't possibly be Catholic. You know, all of those different things yeah. that happen, you know, kind of under the surface when you're in that kind of environment. So I grew up uh, non-denominational. Um, I would imagine I was at church before I knew I was there. And one of my earliest memories is actually uh, in Sunday school. Uh, I'd say I was maybe three, four years old, something like that. And the Sunday school teacher was saying that the, what we needed to do to be good Christians was to bring our unsaved friends to church. And I remember having this moment where I'm just like, but wait a minute, I'm not allowed to have any friends who aren't actually already here with me. How can I possibly be a good Christian if I don't have any other friends to bring with me to Sunday school? So that was the first moment, I think, that I kind of had this, this feeling of, hmm, something about this isn't reconciling with me, and I just don't know what it is yet. Wow. Okay. All right. So that was the first experience there for you. And then, and so you've been doing this church thing for a while. So, so when would be the time where you say that you kind of like stop doing the church thing? Well, yeah, because I guess that's kind of tricky because I have not been to church for probably about three years now, um, two or three, somewhere in that range. But I still very much, you know, my spirituality is a huge piece of who I am. And that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm very upfront about it, something I'm very clear about making sure I, I have time and I build that into my daily life. Um, so really, I mean, I was in church all the time, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, pretty much all throughout my childhood, high school, uh, into college, I went to a uh, charismatic university. So we basically went from church no, excuse me, we did have to go to church. It was literally a requirement. And yeah. I also went to chapel services. And, of course, I was the resident advisor, which meant that not only was I doing all the things, I had to enforce all the rules for everybody else. <laughs> mm. oh, so, yeah, oh. just all of those things, right? Right. Yeah, because the thing is, I have, um, okay, of course, since you're on the Weird Pastors Kid podcast, you should know I've grown up in church myself. So I've been with the church thing. I went to Christian schools my whole life, too. So from, like, K-3 all the way to high school, even look at college, like, I went did the whole Christian school thing. So, like, I am went to the, I know, I understand going to chapel services. I know going yeah. to church. So I had, <laughs> we, both of us combined, probably have um, forgotten more sermons than some people have ever heard in their life. Probably. Um, <laughs> probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So let's think. So you said three years ago, you put, you said you probably you stopped going to church like around that amount of time. And what was the what led you to stop going to church? What led to that? It was a combination of things. Um, you know, as I had mentioned, there were these different kind of pinpoints that I can now identify. When I look back, I can see them. In the moment, it just felt like 
huh, well, that's interesting. Something doesn't feel quite right about that. And I would just kind of brush it aside and go after my gold stars and my people-pleasing and, you know, all the things that are really held up as high values, especially for women within the church, and just carry about my life. And that meant for me um, that I got married when I was really young. Uh, I think I was 24. Um, 24, 23, 20, somewhere in there, <laughs> in yeah. my early 20s, um, yeah. and I, you know, got married, had kids, stayed home with them while they were young, and then went back into the corporate workforce just as they were heading into kindergarten and first grade. That's mm. also the time that my marriage was ending, and if there's mm. one thing that will teach you about grace, It's going through a divorce in the church because there's just so much, (laughs) there's so much that goes into that. Um, You know, aside from the reason why we were actually separating and divorcing in the first place, but then just how it falls out within, you know, a small group community or how involved the pastors are or, you know, when all of a sudden there is a not necessarily safe situation and you need to exit quickly, what does that look like? So. You know, there's a lot of moving pieces to that. And the church was wonderful for me. They were so helpful. They were so supportive. Um, they tried also to reach out to the kid's dad at the time and really keep him, you know, grounded in the loop as well. Um, and just, you know, we all made different choices. I stayed in the church at that point in time. Fast forward probably four or five years later, and I got married again. And that husband had not been a part of a church community beforehand. Um, the other one grew up mm. as a missionary's kid. <laughs> so oh, okay. We at least, so, yeah. And we met at our Christian school. So, like, we shared the same language. Oh, I um, gotcha. Marriage number two, that was not the case, but he fell big into the church. And he was, you know, really all about having um, this experience. And the the situation here is that, the church actually took his side and painted this idea, or I should say he, he painted the idea in the um, pastor's office that I was choosing my business over our blended family. Well, what he had left out of the whole story is that I was basically replacing wife number one with a six-figure income, which as an entrepreneur at the time, oh. that's not where I was. So there was a lot of pressures and expectations that weren't communicated and just all sorts of very difficult things. And the way that that situation uh, was handled was, was pretty much between that and then we did end up moving. And so distance was an issue, but I could have overcome that if I really wanted to, but it was enough of all the moving parts plus the distance. And then again, let's not forget that, you know, I was, number one with my kids all the time for the first five, six years of their life. And then again, nothing like a wake up call to say, now you only have them for 50% of the time. Do I really want to spend the five, four years that we have left spending four hours a day or, you know, four hours a week at church when this is the reality of our situation? So a lot of decisions went into that that final decision to step out. And I'm sorry, that was like such a long rambly answer. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. You're, you're, you're perfectly fine. And when, when I ask you this, um, with this, because I, I think there's a lot of different moving parts to the reason why you haven't been going to church now. But let me ask you this, just to, to see if this would help out for you. Um, when you started, like, stop going to church and everything, and the church took his side, I want to just dive into that a little bit. Were you, like, so, like, taken back by that and almost, like, hurt by that, too? Is that, like, another factor in all this as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, But I say that without pride. Um, And here's why. It's because I had gotten to a place after the the end of the first marriage. I mean, I really, I had lost myself in the idea of what the good Christian wife was supposed to be. And I had separated so far from who I actually was in order to perform this role that that was a huge piece of my own recovery during that in-between time between the two marriages. And I say that because I found myself again, and specifically I felt a deeper connection with God and I felt more in alignment with 
kind of this divine energy in my work than I did in a lot of other, you know, Christian or churchy type situations. So literally what was said out to me was, well, if God was asking you to give up your business, would you? That was the question that was framed. And it was just the thing of you don't get it. You don't understand. You don't understand the relationship that I have with my God and the idea that that's not something that would be asked of me because this is a God-given thing. So it was just, you know, it was more nuanced than just, oh, they took his side. You know, it was more about, no, they're just really off the mark. They're not even listening to me. Mm. And I don't know, and I don't want to, and I want you, I don't want you to seem like I'm, um, throwing your church on the bus or throwing church on the bus, but I want to hear your perspective on it and see what you think. Um, I've had many, many um, women that I've talked with on this podcast, even outside this podcast, who have told me that they have had a hard time being believed or really even being listened to from like church and church leaders. And I don't know if that was your experience as well, but is that something that you can say that maybe it's just this one time, but have that happened to you, you know, in your church experience? It definitely happened to me throughout the the time that I've had in church. In this particular instance, do I feel unheard? Yes, absolutely. Can I say that that church had a history of that? No, I think they're one of the few that actually – Um, you know, kind of put their money to where their mouth was and were much more accepting and loving and, uh, you know, out in the community. And I think that they are more of what was intended. And yet at the same time, I think the constructs of church itself and the patriarchy within the church has created this system in which women are so undervalued and at the same time, we've elevated this idea of martyrdom as a way of being. And I don't know if you remember, but the, the little, you know, childhood thing that we learned in Sunday school, that the only way to have joy was to put Jesus first and then yes. others and then yourself. Right, right. Well, when you put that against this framework that we have of women already being undervalued, of being dismissed, of not being listened to or taken, you know, with any sort of seriousness, And then on top of that, we're going to tell you that the only way that you can achieve joy is to put yourself at the bottom of the list. And, oh, by the way, we really appreciate martyrs around here. You create a system which continues the narrative. It continues to push the women down. It continues to separate them from themselves. And there's no idea of how to be a whole person in this kind of environment. I I totally agree. I think one, I think one thing that I've I've talked to this with a lot of different people lately in in this series, and I think that a lot of the churches what they forget and what is that we need to it's okay for someone to be themselves. I think so many churches want to to get cookie cutter Christians to say, okay, Absolutely. you're going to be exactly like this person, you're going to be exactly like this person, you're going to be exactly and so like a lot of times like this I'm 27 years old. Okay, I want you to understand how. The denomination I came up with very, um, almost like a, a very oppressive, and so it went to a point to where you, I did not, I still to this day, I'm not, I'm trying to figure out who I am. Like, do I dislike that, or was it my denomination mm-hmm. that, dis- that disliked that? Mm-hmm. You know, am I doing this? So there's so many different things. Even now, I'm trying to like unlearn in my own um, walk with God. Let me let me give you an example of something so silly. All right, it's so so silly, but I I don't know if you'll relate to it or not. But this is just how crazy it is. So the the denomination I grew up in, when you go to church, you wear your Sunday best. You wear the absolute best for God. (laughs) You not wear anything less, right? So I remember it was one Sunday, and I had, like, everything else that I had um, clothes for that day. It felt like everything needed to get um, to be washed here at the time. And I was like, oh, my soul, like, I need to find something to wear. And it seemed like the only thing that I had to wear at the time wore some jeans. And I remember going to myself going, oh, my soul, I don't want to do this. Oh, my soul. And my wife, literally, my wife was like, just wear the jeans. Just go put the <laughs> jeans on and go to let's go to church, right? But like in my mind, because of how I was raised and what I was thinking of, mm-hmm. even though internally I know that there's nothing wrong with going to right. church on a Sunday morning in some jeans, the way I was raised, the way I was taught made me feel as if wearing jeans was something wrong with that. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so like I feel – let me ask you, has anything like that happened in your own life where you're like trying to unlearn some things that you kind of grew up believing and thinking? 
oh my goodness, I could, it would take us hours <laughs> to unpack all of the things. I mean, no, I, I think it, it, it was a kind of a, how do I want to say this? It's like an automatic after effect of choosing to take the time and really evaluate, is this what I believe or is this what I was told to believe? Right. For the longest time, and, and this still, this is when I think I've, I think I've cleared this one. But man, I came back to this mountain about four different times. The nice thing is, every time you go around something, as far as I'm concerned, when you're, you know, using the, the mountain analogy, you're going higher up. So at least you've got a new elevation, you've got a new mm. perspective on things. So it yeah. might be the same thing you're still working on, but you are making progress. So all of that to say, I think I'm on the mountaintop on this one. Okay. I hope I am. Um, but the simple question of what do you want? Mm. What do you want? And it could be anything as simple as which restaurant do you want to go out to eat at tonight to what kind of change do you want to be responsible for in the world? I mean, like it could be, it could completely run the gamut of, of this type of question. I have circled around this one for years, first being able to decide what I wanted without running it through a filter of if someone else was going to approve. But then mm. secondly, really tapping in enough to myself to know what I want. Do I want it for me? Do I want it for my kids? Do I want it for my community? Or is it something that I was told to want? And most of that comes from the church and from the programming there, or maybe even just from society. You know, it's especially the irony of, uh, for many, many years, I think 20-some years, I've been in the wedding industry. So to say that I'm the twice-divorced wedding planner, you know, there's a little bit of irony in that idea. Yeah. But clearly, I still believe in love and marriage and romance because I wouldn't be in this industry if not. And yet there comes back to that question, what do you want? So, mm. you know, it, it's one of those things that I think it will be a constant uh, almost existential crisis on a regular basis, but doing it on purpose so that I can really, you know, kind of get out of my own way and undo the damage that has been done and be much more thoughtful about the life that I'm living now. Yeah. One thing, and this, I feel like you, um, I feel like there's some relate, like re relatability here because I feel right now that when I'm, I have to do, which I don't want to do right now, when I'm like still me and God are like having this thing, I have to destroy the things that the church has built in me as an identity and allow oh. God to build me up in the identity that he wants me to be in. Um, I think that I've created, um, growing up in church, I had this identity. I was like, oh, okay, and this is going to be, uh, this is going to be kind of a little crazy, but I went to um, Christian schools my whole life, I mentioned. And one of the uh, things about it is I was one of the few black kids in the Christian school that I went to. Cause my parents were raised to thinking, hey, do not put your kids in a, in a, in a public school. They're going to damage them, so put them in Christian school. So I was in um, Christian schools my whole life. You know, and most of these schools predominantly white. I was like one of there's one Christian school I went to. I was in tenth grade, and I was the only black kid in the entire high school, like the wow. only one. So what I've had to learn and unlearn is the fact that I was always trying to make and and it's gonna sound crazy, but I was really trying to make like white authority figures happy. Always that trying to not get sound their, crazy at all. Yeah, I was trying to get their validation for so much. <laughs> and so because of that, I was just like, I didn't really know who I was. And I was saying, I was uh, parading their talking points, saying the things that they wanted me to say. Um, and I didn't realize, but I was literally being groomed to be yep. the black guy on Fox News, is what I was being <laughs> groomed, uh -huh. groomed to be, okay? And then it came a point that I had to step back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, why am I saying these things? Why am I doing these things? Am I doing it so I can get a pat on the back from this community? Or is it something that I firmly believe? And so right, right now, I'm learning that right now. I don't know if that sounds too out of, out of the box for you. Oh but my that's gosh, just kind no, of, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> not not at I'm all. Learning. I mean, really, truly, I think that, first of all, kudos to you, because I think that there are so many times when people have been hurt by the church, and the immediate uh, response is, I'm going to turn away from everything that's related to this, and I'm going to either go in the opposite direction, or I'm just going to hold on to this hurt and bitterness, and I'm never really going to examine what any of it means. Now, by 
and large, I'm mm. so not saying that everyone does that, but I'm saying there's a tendency for people to just shut this part of ourselves off instead of being willing to do the work to reacquaint ourselves with ourselves. And if we so choose to pursue a relationship with God, whatever that looks like, and, you know, kind of keep that, that spirituality piece of us alive, in order to do that, you've got to peel back the layers and understand what's yours to keep and what's yours to toss. And that's yeah. some really heavy stuff. And it's so crazy. Like, what I'm learning, too, and this is, and I know um, the, my listeners, I want everyone that guys are listening, listen to this conversation. This is really good. Because one thing I'm, I'm learning is that, okay, there's a difference between law and there's a difference between law and grace, right? Um, mm-hmm. The Bible talks about how the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And what I'm learning is that, okay, the church, and what, they've, what they've done to many people is they've allowed you to say, okay, you have to think like this. You have to be like this. And, they, and what they do is they'll say, oh, man, you got to – because this is what I, – I wrote all this down of what I've learned about law. Is the law says pay what you owe. And grace mm-hmm. says, I'll pay what you owe. And so for mm-hmm. a lot of times, what we don't understand is we think that, oh, man, um, oh, oh man, the, the grace is, is not acknowledging the debt. No, no, no. Grace is acknowledging the debt but also paying for it. And I think for a lot of times, the church is run on legalism, is run on being like law. And I think the church in America is so scared to run on grace. The church has run on this fear tactics, and, and the church is, is afraid to run on fear because a symptom of a church that's run on fear and a symptom of a church that's run on the law is you know everything that your pastor doesn't like, but you don't know who God is. You don't know who he is. Yep. So he's like, oh, man, I, I don't know who God is. I just know my pastor doesn't want me to wear this. My pastor doesn't want me to do this. The pastor, And for many of us, we have built into the lie that when the Bible talks about being a new creature in Christ, that has something to do with behavior modification. If you, mm-hmm. if you go in and you dilute when people, when they say new creature, it's, okay, now that you're saved, you're a new creature for me to mold you into whoever I want you to be. It's right. like, oh, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to make many versions of myself instead of allowing that person to be the person that God wants them to be. And so what we have to understand is Christianity is not behavior modification. Christianity is, is about a heart transformation, and it's the Holy Spirit that works on our hearts, and God is going to change us from the inside out to be who he wants us to be, not the person that the pastor wants us to be or the spiritual leaders want us to be, but we have to try to find out, okay, God, who do you want me to be? What's the version of myself that I want to be in? So for a lot of us, and I know a lot of people that are listening, I don't want you to be the next Shelton Williams, okay? Or I don't want you to be um, the next Tanya, okay? I want you to be the version that God wants you to be. Um, and I think that that's going to take time. It's not going to be this oh, instant switch that, hey, I'm everything that I need to be, but it's a daily walk with God. And I think sometimes we all forget that because we're still trying to be the person that past leaders or, or pastors really want us to be instead of the person that God wants us to be. I agree wholeheartedly, and I I think it even goes uh, even further in the idea of the the structure, you know, the programming that happens, because if you take a step back from the vast majority of the way that information is, is, you know, uh, dispersed, basically, from the church, you've got what's coming directly from the pulpit, you've got what's happening, you know, in the pews, or depending on how contemporary of a church you are, just the chairs. Uh, You know, you've got what's happening from that peer-to-peer level, but then you also have the the implied rules. So in some cases, we grew up with those things that are very explicit. You know, you don't drink, you don't dance, you don't chew, you don't go with boys who do. (laughs) And then at the same time, what's underneath that is, oh, my goodness, you know, like, for example, when the purity culture came through, that was Mm. a disaster that has impacted thousands upon thousands of, of people, both men and women, that yep. have been irrevocably changed and sometimes damaged beyond repair so far. You know, it's still a work in progress. But the idea being there's so many different rules that were implied with the idea of the purity culture coming in. But going back, I'll circle back to that in a second, but going back to this idea of fear, 
so many of the rules that were placed on me, for example, were, I believe, coming from a place of wanting to keep me safe. I believe that my parents had the best of intentions and that they were following the rules laid out for them as best as they could. But what no one stopped to see is that the entire thing was based on fear. It wasn't about connecting to God. It wasn't about connecting to each other. It was about if you do this, bad things will happen to you. You're right. You are so and then that right. ties us right back to the idea of nobody listening to women because, you yes. know, it's that classic thing that we're seeing so often with the Me Too movement and not listening to victims. Well, what were you wearing? Because, you know, if you were going to follow in the purity culture, first of all, you better have your purity ring on that your father gave you, which oh, is going to be replaced so with your engagement ring so that basically you never have autonomy of your own self and you always belong to a man. So let's talk about that. But then a step further, what were you wearing? What is it that you are responsible for? Because as Christian women, it is our job to manage the sexuality of men. Yeah. It's always the woman's fault for that. That's something that – it it bothers me to no end. And I I was – I had um, someone that I interviewed on the podcast before, and I was was so – if you – you don't understand how upset I was because I was literally like in tears listening to her story. And she was talking about she went to a Christian college, and um, one thing they were um, one of the counselors she had to get a counselor at this Christian college, and she began to share with this Christian counselor the fact that she um, was molested, you know, and um, you know by someone in the church, and the counselor had, oh man, the counselor response was saying, oh, it happened with someone in the church, was it with someone in leadership, and then they were like, and when she said yes, she goes, well, you need to, she said, I'm going to stop you there. Because I don't want you to talk about anything that could damage the name of Christ. And then she mm-hmm. began to say, well, what were you wearing? Were you wearing something like this? Or what would make him want to single you out? Like ah. as, if the, as if this abuse was her fault to begin with. And she was right. like, what, I think she was like four when this all began and all this stuff. So ah. to, to put the blame on her bothered me and it bugged me. But I feel like, and I, and I, I mentioned this. I feel like I'm going to say something, but in this series, I mentioned this as well, is that the American church is more of the fruit of America than America is the fruit of the church. A lot of times we think that, oh, man, we, we're not, you know, got to be in the world, but not of the world and all this other stuff. But no, no, no. We are literally following after societal norms. And but for the most part, the church is always late on it. We're always about 10 to 15 years behind or late on what society is doing. The church at one time was not for interracial marriage. The church at one point was not for the civil rights movement. They, they were just a little bit behind on all those things. But yet the, when we get to this particular issue, now women aren't being believed in our society, and then it bleeds into our churches where we're not mm-hmm. believing our women. We're not trusting our women. We're not protecting our women. We're always protecting men, it seems. And, and, and men seems to always have um, an excuse. We always give them a built-in excuse in our society. You know, Absolutely. we sit back and we sit back and say, oh, no, you know, uh, in our Christian circles, we sit back and say, oh, well, you know what, um, you, you know, these men, you know, you have to protect these men, so you women have to dress better and everything. Well, if we, if we really think about it, lust is a choice. My dad always used to say this to us all the time, but I used to say, it's not the first look, it's the second look. And so mm-hmm. for a lot of times, what guys do, what we do is we, um, we sit back and we have our own excuses. We sit back and say, well, you know, oh, she wore this, that's why I was this. But if lust is really a choice, then you chose to lust after her. It doesn't matter what a woman is wearing. Lust is still an, an opportunity. You can still have that, that option of lust, whether she has her dress all the way down to her, her ankles or not. Right. You know, that isn't an excuse for your lust. And I think that bleeds into our society when it comes to rape culture, where we blame Absolutely. the woman saying, oh, well, she's being raped, but oh, oh, but what was she wearing? If that's your one of your first go-to questions after a woman is raped, we have an issue and we have a problem. And Absolutely. I think that... All, and I'm seeing the correlation between society and our, in our American churches, and we really need to do better in that. We, we do, and I think, unfortunately, I think this is one of the places where mainstream society is, they are out-loving the church yes. in so many ways, in so many ways. The average person is a better Christian than Christians are supposed to try to be right now. <laughs> and That's it just, the truth. It, 
it's confusing and it's frustrating. And, you know, I've been saying for years that there is a culture within church community that is a rape culture. It just is. And it's the secrecy. It's the, um, again, the, the privilege and the power and the authority and not being able to speak up or to have an opposing view or, you know, any of those different kinds of things. And it's fascinating to me that there hasn't been more accountability in the process in the church. And I find what's very interesting in this as well, you mentioned the idea of, you know, it's the second look. And I I think that's a great analogy. I found for me, and this will kind of dovetail to a question you asked a while ago, and I'm sorry, I'm just now getting to, but about what my spirituality looks like now. um, For me, coming to the place of, recognizing that there are so many different ways in to a relationship with God that it doesn't have to look like everything that I've always ever been told, that there are so many different ways that, you know, God shows his, his love, her love. I don't, I'm still really confused about this. I have a problem with the idea that the only pronoun in the Bible is his and he and him. And I don't know that I fully but then at the same time, we're going to have verses that say that, you know, in heaven there is no separation between male or female. So what does that mean when it comes to the way that the Bible was translated? And everything, everything is in a patriarchal structure. You know, we talk about all the different things that we fit into the culture of when the Bible was written, but nobody ever takes that back out again. So where is the relativity, you know, for us now and here? So Again, very complicated, very complex. No, no, I definitely understand that. I'm working through some of that myself. But, yeah, you, keep, you can keep, definitely keep going. I, I definitely see where you're going because patriarchy, sometimes when we get to the point of we see the scriptures through our lens and not really, and even the Bible itself may have been seen through someone. So it's a lot of things, I, and I get the compl- things, how complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a very complicated thing. Definitely, yeah. yeah. But I love the way that you mentioned this idea of it's the second look that that determines, you know, kind of where this goes. Because one of the things that I've been um, really just diving deeper and deeper into for probably the past year or so in my mindfulness work and in meditation is to pay attention to the thoughts and to recognize where they come from and what the purpose is but then to choose whether or not I keep them. And again, there's a scriptural reference for this idea that we hold captive every thought. And we, I mean, I, I can whip out scriptures from memory that I don't even remember where they are, but I know (laughs) for a fact that that is a verse Um, because it's been, you know, built into me. But when you put that under the idea of we don't have to be, victim to whatever thought comes across our mind, that we can be the observer in our mind and say, oh, wait a second, let me get curious about that. Is this something that I actually believe? Where did it come from? What is the purpose? Is my ego trying to keep me safe? Is this programming that came up from when I was a kid? Does this actually resonate with me now? When you can take that kind of observer role in your own mind, you've got all the power because now yes. it's this idea of what do I choose to believe and what am I going to do about that? We don't yeah. have to be victims to every last thing that comes through our mind. That's so true. Man, that's so good. I think I want to – there's something you mentioned earlier that you say what you were talking about like um, the love of God. And, and I feel like you're saying that the world is out loving the church. What I, what I find very interesting, there's a couple of verses in the Bible that's very interesting. One – Jesus said that the world should know us by our love, right? That's like the, one of the, the key verses, like they should know us by our love. But yet right now it just seems as if a lot of people are knowing Christians by our hate, if we're going to be completely yeah. honest. In America, they know what we're against or what they say, you know, that we are against here. Because I have a lot of people, I get nervous when I talk to certain groups of people and I let them know that I'm a Christian or I'm a believer because – I don't want to be lumped in with the crazies of the world, right? The ones that are like, you know, out there being crazy. But I find what interesting is, one, the Bible says that that, um, the world should know us by our love. But I remember in Matthew chapter number 22, which is one of my favorite verses, it says that when someone comes to to Jesus and says, Master, what is the great commandment? Or which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto them, 
that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And it said, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So those two commandments, if we just, just – let's just forget everything else. Forget about church telling you what kind of clothes to wear, what kind of uh, – what to live by. Do, if you can live by this, that we should love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and mind, and then love our neighbors as we love ourselves, that would eliminate so much. It would, say, change, man, the I, it it would, would change, change the world. It would literally change the world. Mm-hmm. It would. Just live out the – I don't even care about all the church rules, the church culture – just live by t- these two rules, to love God with our heart, mind, and soul, and then love our neighbors like we love ourselves. That is it. Right. I think we've overcomplicated Christianity, and if all of us can just live by these, by the, the, this two, these two commandments, this world would change drastically. I could not agree with you more. However, there's two problems with that. Mm. One is the idea of love your neighbor as yourself. That first means that you actually have to love yourself. Because if if you're to love your neighbor as you love yourself and you don't love yourself, then what good are you going to do your neighbor? However, let's flash back to the idea of the constructs that are in place and especially that of Jesus, others, and yourself and the high value of being a martyr in any way, shape, or form, whether it's literally dying on the mission field or it's working yourself to death because you've put everyone else's needs above your own. Either way, you're looking at the same problem. It's a separation of self. It's a separation of who you are from who God designed you to be. And in that whole process, there becomes this deep well of self-hatred. And it's designed to keep us in conformity and to keep us controlled. And I know I sound like a conspiracy theory right now, but at the same time, I've seen it play out. And I'm, I'm in the middle of writing the book, and it has opened my eyes and made me sob more often than I want to admit, just because you're seeing it's all, it's all laid out. There's a construct for it. There is a structure that holds the power, usually for the white men, and keeps the system going and just continuing this narrative. So yeah. going back to this idea of, you know, if we are to follow these two primary things that Jesus set out for us, I do honestly believe that it would change the world. And I think that there are people who are considered spiritual but not religious that live in that way, and they are creating the change. And I would argue that they are just as valid in their belief system as any Christian would be, but they may not have the same label. So I tend to think that there's so much more that's interconnected that the church has mislabeled out of fear because it puts us back in touch in ourselves and with our own power on a divine level than being in the church and following the rules and paying our tithes and, you know, doing all the things. So, so that's the first problem is we yeah. don't love ourselves. But then the second problem is the church doesn't want us to. Ooh, oh, oh, oh. Boy, you better you better preach because <laughs> this is the thing. The, the reason why they don't want you to is because of what you just mentioned, power, control. I can control anybody that doesn't love themselves. Yep. You know, th- that's why there are some men out there that prey on women that are extremely insecure. Why? Power, control. Yep. You don't love yourself, so I can do whatever I want to do with you, and you will just keep coming back to me because I show, I, I tell you I'm sorry, and I, I give you the flowers, I do all that I, that I can do to you to keep this cycle going so that I can stay in power. And I believe you're absolutely right. I believe that there are many, many church leaders all throughout America that don't want you to love yourself. No, 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 don't, don't love yourself. No, no, no. And That's selfish. I think that's so selfish. I think that there are – I felt no for me in general. Growing up in church, I became extremely, extremely insecure because it's like, wait, I, I don't – and the thing, this is how bad it is. I don't trust my own decision-making. Like, wait right. a minute. I, I don't know. Is this right? Someone please tell me stamp of approval that I'm doing the right thing all the time, and it's because I don't – I'm still learning to love myself. I'm, if I'm going Absolutely. to be completely honest. I'm yeah. a, if I'm being 100% honest, I'm still learning to love myself because I'm always – I felt like in our churches we were always um, downgrading ourselves. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, oh, man, no, you, you're not this. You're not well enough. You're not doing good enough. Stars. 
Yes. That's how we, yes. we got our gold stars. We got our people pleasing. We got our out of girls and out of boys by devaluing who we actually are and yes. the, you know, kind of where we fit on the whole hierarchy of things. Because if we can embrace our suffering, and I'm, I'm being a little dramatic here, but if, if we can throw ourselves under the bus in any way, shape, or form that somehow evaluate, or I should say, I can't talk, elevates our spiritual standing, then we're suffering for the Lord. Mm. And those are gold stars, baby. Rock them up. <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to tell, say something, and I don't know how deep you want to get into this too, but I do think that when it comes to the part of why Christians aren't loving the way that we should, it's also, and I, I don't know how deep you want to go, but I believe that this also has to do with our uh, political spectrum as well. I think that because the American church isn't so much in bed with the Republican Party, they begin, because it's so much intertwined, that some of the issues that, that may seem like it's too left-wing, they're like, oh, no, I don't want to touch it. I don't want mm-hmm. to touch this issue because it, it seems to be something that the left does. And so because the American you know, church isn't like – because this is what I think. I think American church needs to be nuanced. Like say, okay, we're not Republican. We're not Democrat. We are just pro-love and pro-ideas. And if one party loves, like, loves a certain group of people, we should love them, love this other pe- group of people, show love toward these people. But I think because of that, I think that so, so many times because they're, those two things are married to each other, like politics mm-hmm. and the church, it's hard for certain people to see outside of their political spectrum to love people that the other party seems to love a little bit more. And I, I don't know Absolutely. how to phrase that in the best way, but I do believe that's the problem with, with, with the church right now too. I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And again, I think it's, it's this idea of power is at the heart of so much of, of this conversation, especially when it comes to the intersection of church and politics. Because mm. it's not just who's got the power in the sense of who won the election this time around. It's also yeah. the idea of who's got the power of platform. And exactly. what are we willing to talk about? What are we willing to listen to? Uh, heaven forbid that you would ever get your source of information from something that wasn't approved as, well, I only listen to such and such, or I only listen right. to such and such. Exactly. And, you know, I had the same thing. <laughs> I don't know. You, you mentioned the idea of being in Christian school your whole life. I had all three. I was in public school through eighth grade. And then mm. it just so happened that where I lived, the high school that all of the little, little towns fed into had the highest teen pregnancy rate in the state. And out of fear, my parents pulled me out of the school because apparently, supposedly, there was a teacher that was taking girls to get abortions without their parents' knowledge. Now, none of this. I mean, I, I cried myself to oh, wow. sleep the first night that I was kissed because of my completely deranged level of programming when it came to sexuality stuff. It was a different topic altogether. So, I mean, like, I am in the most innocent, innocent person you could ever be. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. not even innocent, like, straight out naive. But anyway, that yeah. was the decision that was made. Again, I understand that they were coming from a place of love and wanting to protect. What that meant is that for my schooling, I was homeschooled for the next three years using a Christian curriculum. Then I begged my parents to let me go back to school for my senior year just so I would have some, some sort of, you know, something to do for the senior year and got approval to go to a small Christian school. My graduating class was 15. There were five guys, 10 girls, and some of mm-hmm. these kids had been together since kindergarten. So yeah. here I come in the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a very interesting <laughs> experience in and of itself. But going back to this idea of platform, the, the way that I was kept up on social events and current events in my homeschooling time was listening to Rush Limbaugh. And it was, mm. what, three hours a day, Monday yeah. through Friday? If I remember correctly, yeah. it was the show schedule. And mm-hmm. I, just even something as simple as hearing the word feminazi and never, never hearing the word feminist, only ever hearing feminazi, referring to a feminist. And it wasn't until I'd say maybe easily within the last six months, maybe nine months, that I finally had the conversation with my parents and said, by the way, 
have you ever paused long enough to think about what he's saying, what he's implying, when he uses the word feminazi? Yeah. Because what he's actually saying is that to be a feminist, to believe that a woman has the same equal rights as a man and deserves the same amount of value, is to be the equivalent of someone who holds the Nazi ideals as sacred. Is that really what you believe? Mm. And of course the answer was like, well, no, of course not. Of course not. He's just, you know, he's just a shock jock. He's just going for for the shock and awe. No, no, he's not. That's a part of the platform. No, he's, he's, he's indoctrinating program. people too. Yeah, Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, because I didn't realize till I was, let's say here, I might have been 20, and this is going to show you how ignorant I was, but I didn't realize that, you know, till I was about 20, that liberal's not a bad word. <laughs> I, right? I grew up thinking that liberal was a bad word. And I had to like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the definition of liberal again? This isn't like a bad word here. But I, right. it was, it's used. Like it was used as a bad word in my circles. Like, oh, yeah, that person's liberal. And I was like, wait a minute. Okay, I don't want to be that. So let me not right. do that. You know? I'm not even so, sure exactly <laughs> what that means, but I don't want it. <laughs> you know, I do remember one of the things that um, my dad said was everyone's how do you say it? Everyone's a liberal until they have something to conserve. And I thought that was a really clever way of mm. being able to understand kind of the difference as it comes to the financial piece of things. So, yeah. you know, when I look yeah. at politics, something else I, I find that people don't tend to do often enough is to segment out the different categories that we're talking about. So rather yeah. than just label yourself as something that believes wholeheartedly, whatever the party line is it possible that you could be a financial conservative and a social liberal? Yes. Because yes. that's what I am. But at the same yes. time, that's confusing. And it, it isn't easy. It doesn't make sense. It's hard to be me <laughs> with that kind of, <laughs> of belief system. But at the same time, it's something that I can say that other people will understand and recognize what it is that I stand for. And at the same time, I can stand in my truth and say that because this last election, I had a really hard time with what if I don't want to vote for either? I still want to vote because I believe in the power that we have as American citizens to vote. And I respect that. And I love that. And I appreciate that about our country. And I don't yeah. like either of these candidates well enough to give them my vote of confidence. So I'm one of the, however many of us that there were, that, you know, in essence, air quotes, threw away our vote. So I apologize, for, by the way, <laughs> on that. <laughs> um, but I had to follow my conscience. I voted third party yeah. because I could not, in good consciousness, vote for either one. Yeah, they're both disgusting candidates. If we're going to be, yeah, like, does that save us now? Of course not. But no. you know, it, could I? If I could take it back differently, would I? Probably, but I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't. Yeah, you know, it's just it's so tough because I I, I get this question like a lot. People come to me because they hear me say certain things like Shelton. Are you a Democrat? Are you Republican? Or what are you? And I say I'm Shelton. Um, right. And what that means is, like, <laughs> I don't fit in either box. Like, I'm not yes. – I don't fit in the Democratic box. I don't fit in the Republican box. I just fit in me, Shelton Williams. I have ideas that I love on the Republican side of things. I have, I have ideas that I love that's on the, more on the Democratic side of things. But at the end of the day, it's okay for us to be complex human beings that yes. you can't just box in. And to be honest, a lot of times – you know, we're, the, the Bible says that we're made in the image of God, which is quite awesome. What's sad is that so many times we try to, to take the complexity of God and put him in a box that we mm-hmm. can fit and understand. And a lot of times God isn't that way. He isn't someone that you can fit in the box. There's many times that I've had teenagers, people ask me questions, and I'm like, to be honest with you, I cannot stand firmly that that is the right way. This is what I believe. But you can believe you can believe differently from my, from what I do, and that's fine, and that's okay, okay? Because God is so 
oh man, the concept of, of God himself, if you just take it back from what we've been taught, just the idea of God is lofty and huge and it's ambiguous. Um, but at the same time, I still think that um, there's some things that you look in the word of God, you can't stand, say wholeheartedly, boom, this is how it's supposed to be. Like when you made the mention about the whole pronouns thing and everything, and, I, and that's something that someone came up to me one time before, and I, can, and I can't sit back and say, well, you know what? No, it has to be this way because... The Bible says that God isn't like a God isn't a man, so He's a spirit. So the Bible says he, we do that worship and worship in spirit and in truth. So if that's the case, then I can't stay, sit back and say, well, He has. We have to call him a he, or we have to say she, or either way, it's whatever you believe. That's fine. Like I'm not gonna sit back and and bash you for it or argue with you about it because I, that's not something I can stand wholeheartedly on. Right. Yeah. I don't know about you, but in in this process. Being able to say, I don't know, has oh. been so freeing. <laughs> yes. It just it feels so wonderful to own that moment and say, I don't know, but here's what I believe. And I love the way that you said that, just to kind of keep that open door of saying, this is me. This is on my side. Looking at life through my lens, it doesn't mean that you need to adopt what I believe to find your own version of that truth. And I think what gets so interesting is in the church environments that I grew up in, and I would imagine perhaps the same for you based on what we've talked about so far, but there's this idea of I don't know was never an acceptable answer. There oh. had to be a scripture verse or there had to yep. be a Bible story or there had to be some moral that was construed from either of those. It was actually diluted from like 17 different versions of a, of a sermon. You know, yeah. like it was never... It's never just so cut and dried as I think so many Christians want it to be. And there's this idea of our life is far more in shades of gray than it ever is in black and white. And when we try to say that life should be black and white, first of all, we're missing out on 90% of the color spectrum because we think it has to be one or the other. Exactly, exactly. And I just don't understand why we have to, why we think that life has to be that way because life is too complex. Like there's so many things that go on in life that you can't sit back and say, well, it has to be done this way. It has to be like it wasn't until a lot of times I didn't realize this, but a lot of my opinions started to change when I started to really talk with people that were outside of my bubble. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, guys that are listening. Uh, but literally, I had to I had to go outside of the people that were in my bubble and started to actually talk with people with same-sex attractions instead of hearing about people with same-sex attraction from yeah. people with who are straight. Like, why am I listening to your opinion of them when I can just talk to them? And mm -hmm. when I spoke with them, I realized that the things that I was taught in the church is not accurate at all. Okay, nope. this isn't true. This isn't right. So once you speak and communicate with people, you begin to understand that some of the ways that you were taught to believe are actually not right and not accurate. And you will learn that once you begin to talk with people and speak with people. And that will help you to actually see people as people and not uh -huh. just um, – just because the thing is, if we're going to be so honest, and I hate being this, but we have to be honest. i got to stand firm on being, on, on being honest here on the podcast is the reason why some of us hate different groups is only because we don't know them. We don't have yeah. a relationship with them. And we can sit back, and because of that, you can have all the assumptions about a, a people group, but it really takes um, more effort to reach out to them, talk with them, share with them, and allow, as you talk with other people, your assumptions of them will all begin to dissipate because you'll see them as people and not just topics and not just statistics, but you'll see them as people. I think that's what we need to get back to. Absolutely. And I'll even go a step further um, so that way I can be the bad guy on your podcast instead of you. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this idea, I think, and, and this could really ruffle some feathers, and please know that's not my intention. I would just ask that you keep an open mind and just consider this possibility. Exactly. Is it possible that the evangelical way of being, the idea that we have the truth and it's our responsibility to ensure that the rest of humanity has the opportunity to know the truth, therefore we must go out and save the world. Is it possible that that ideal has created an us versus them 
mindset that still to this day perpetuates how we treat each other. So to be yeah. more specific, you know, even I was one going on the missions trips when I was a teenager, and I will always be grateful for that experience for a couple of different reasons. One is just the exposure to new cultures. And yeah. I found that travel became a love language I didn't know that I had. And I can't tell you the kinds of spiritual connections I have when I'm traveling and just being in that kind of wanderlust type of vibe. Um, but aside from that, you know, I, I have to stand back and to really look at that and say, tell me that that doesn't somehow play into this idea of nationalism and of Ooh. imperialism and this idea that we, the white man, or those who are willing to perpetuate the same narrative as the white man, that we're here to save the rest of you. Mm. Is yeah. it possible mm. that that has carried out to where we are now and we're no longer willing to see each other as human to human because we have to find a label for everyone or everything that we don't understand. You man, I'm gonna I'm gonna we're, we're stepping on toes here. We're gonna be stepping on toes. Let me <laughs> let me take it let me let me let me um uh take it a little bit further here for you so you kinda know my background so some. So all right, so my parents um grew up in the Bahamas. So like my parents that's where they grew up in. And um my back I would say to give you some context, back in the eighties um, a lot of um, churches from, you know, mostly southern churches went to the Bahamas to be missionaries. And so they went, there's a lot of missionaries all throughout the Bahamas. And what they ended up doing, though, they did more than just share with the Bahamian people the gospel of Christ. A lot of them, they began to tell them that their, the way that they did things in the Bahamas w w was incorrect. So what they ended up doing was they left a lot of the Bahamian people, a lot of Bahamian Christians, hating their own culture. And they began to make them just like uh, if you can't. There's some um, Bahamian churches that you can't tell the difference between their church and like some southern uh, church in Alabama. Like you wouldn't know the difference. You know they they have the uh, they like listening to the bluegrass heart. music and yeah exactly guitar well, blue, bluegrass like, I music. I bluegrass. I mean like I hate oh. bluegrass with a passion. Oh. So that just even makes uh. it worse. <laughs> oh my! So I dislike it so so much. They got the the southern gospel music some, that some churches playing like all this stuff. So they begin to like. Make, try to make the American, uh, make the Bahamian people American instead of allowing them to, you know, the gospel be with them. And I feel like it, it goes into the same narrative where we don't want, we want people to be like us or, you know, in that case, be like, you know, to up this agenda that they have of, of the nationalism and all this other stuff that they're pushing and they're, they're parading out there. And I just want people to think, and, and, and just all that we're doing is want you to consider and to think that maybe. The way that we're building, we're living in our, the way that we're doing things in our churches, is is basically making us nationalists, or making us do all these certain things. And what's so crazy is they're now. This is what so nationalism was always something that was seen as bad, and now we I've gotten some pushback from some people that are basically like, well, what's wrong with nationalism? What's oh, wrong wow. with this? Yeah. So now I, there was someone, and I don't. There's someone that is becoming a. a, a a Republican darling who literally said that she had no, she has no problem with nationalism, and the problem that Hitler had was not nationalism, but the fact that he wanted to globalize and be make Germany better. That's what she said. So there's some pushback in some uh, Republican sectors here who were that are trying to say make, turn nationalism into something that is. Um, not a bad thing. So they're not trying to make bad light. So there's nothing wrong with nationalism. Let's have well, this Well, and how ironic. Like, here yes. we're talking about the idea of feminazi and needing mm. to protect and defend the word feminist. Uh, and, yeah. gee, what's the other half of that? Mm. How does that tie in here? <laughs> Let's see. Nazi nationalism. Oh, look. Yes. You know. Wow. So, it's all I can say. That's all I will say on that. I don't want to go in, <laughs> but I just want people to consider the, some of the things that we're talking about. And um, oh my soul, there's so much stuff I want to I want to ask you, but I want to ask you off camera first, or off uh, the <laughs> mic first, before we um, before I get you back, because I'm gonna have you back on if you'll let me bring you back on. Of I would course, love. I this. would love that. Yes, yes, and I wanna. Um, there's some topics that I want to get your opinion on, that I think um, it would help the church 
to get your perspective on it on some certain things. So like definitely some purity culture stuff and some other stuff I want to ask you about. But um, before you go here, is there anything that you want to um, to talk to my to my audience about? Any last like lasting remarks you want to leave with them? Yes, actually there is, and thank you so much for that invitation. I'm thinking about you know just our conversation and, and the pieces that really stand out to me of being very tender moments and just this mm. idea of where can I help do the most good. Coming back to this idea of self-care, this was a hard-fought lesson for me. Just shortly after the divorce from my kid's dad, I was working in a corporate job that didn't provide health insurance. So my typical day, I know, it's crazy. (laughs) And keep in mind, I've just gone from being 100% all the time with my children to now 50% of the time. And in order to keep health insurance benefits, I was working at Starbucks 20 hours a week. Um, so thank God wow. for that. And let's be honest, I desperately needed the caffeine. So yeah. having, you know, <laughs> free coffee and health insurance is a win-win-win all the way around. Right. But here's what my day looks like. My mom would come over sometime, uh, usually, oh, I don't even know what time, but she would sleep on the couch so that she could take the kids to the school bus stop in the morning. 3.45, I'm out the door. Or, so, you know, 3.45, I'm waking up run down the hallway, kiss my kids goodbye, pull the blanket up around my mom's shoulders on the couch, whisper my thank yous again, slide out the door, clock in at Starbucks, set up the pastries, work three hours of the morning rush, grab my own coffee, run to the bathroom, change my clothes and my professional gear, run out the door to the corporate gig. Working from, let's call it usually like 8.30 to 5.45 because if I wasn't at the after-school program by 6 p.m., I would get fined. And then pick up the kids up, go home, cereal for dinner, because that's about all we have time or money for right now. Run the kids through their baths. I get the question of, Mommy, are you going to marry Daddy again? Well, he's already remarried, so that's not going to work. And the answer would be no anyway. So, fast forward, I'm falling into bed to do it all over again. That was my reality. So, I say all of that to kind of set the frame, because my introduction to self-care, like to true actual caring for myself, getting to know myself again, the full level of self-awareness and and discovery, a very deeply personal journey that I'm still on and always will be on that actually brought me back to God started because I lost consciousness on the bathroom floor because my body was producing so much adrenaline that my heart couldn't keep up with it. Oh, wow. So when I talk about self-care, It's from a place of intimate knowledge and also kind of shouting on the rooftops of this idea of, hey, just check yourself. Just just check in. How are you doing in taking care of yourself? And personally, I think that self-care looks like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It's not just always, you know, bubble baths and dark chocolate truffles and a glass of wine, which all are wonderful things, and I will never (laughs) steer anyone wrong from any of them. But it also means taking the time to breathe. It means going outside and letting the sun hit your face. It means being able to take a deep breath. It means expressing gratitude for everything that you already have, regardless of what it is that you still want. It means so many different things. And I think that too often we tend to live a life that is just on autopilot and we're not taking the time to be and so that would be my, my one thing is just to really encourage people to prioritize your own self-care and get to know yourself well enough to know what that means for you. And literally sometimes it just taking a minute and asking yourself, sometimes even out loud, people will think you're crazy and that's okay, but to say, <laughs> what do I need right now? Yeah. And there will be an answer. Sometimes it's just get a glass of water, call a girlfriend, call your mom. It could be anything. But just listen, and that's how we rebuild that intuition. That's how we rebuild the connection with ourselves and to be able to trust ourselves again because now we're finally listening. Yeah, man, that is so good. I, just when you talk about self-care, it just um, right when you said that, it just reminded me of my need. I need to go back to therapy. I haven't been. Last year, I stopped I just stopped going to therapy because I had to, um, we were getting, me and my wife were about, we were planning a, a wedding and everything. We just got married in August of last year. Okay, congratulations. 
Oh, thank you, thank you. So we we just celebrated six months uh, this month. So it was great. It was awesome. But um, I stopped going to therapy because I was just doing the wedding planning. I said I don't have time. I don't have time. And so now that the wedding, obviously, you know, the wedding is over, I need to go back and do that. And that's a really good. It was really helpful for me. You know, it was very much the uh, the. I, I I don't know how to say it. Like I'm taking all the stuff that I was taught and just throwing it at my therapist. My therapist, was, I felt bad for her, but she was really <laughs> helping me unpack these things, though. And That's and that was wonderful. a really good form of self care for me. So oh, I am. Um, the minute you said that, I was like, wow. Yep, I need to go back to therapy. Thank you. You just encouraged me to go <laughs> to go I'm back so, there. I'm so so glad. I'm a huge fan of therapy. And when I knew that I was going to start working on the book because of all the things I was experiencing on the podcast. That was my first, my first mode of action as well. It was like, oh, this is going to stir up all sorts of stuff that I have forgotten about and I've blocked from being in my memory. And, yeah, I'm going to need some help on this one. Okay. This is what so I'm right going to – Right there with you. <laughs> yes. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm definitely going to make sure to have you back on. I want to um, yeah, talk with you a little bit in just a second. But um, definitely, guys, um, listen to the topics and the conversation that we had. I just – Hope that this conversation that we had can make my make you guys think, and you start thinking for yourselves, and started seeing you know outside the box a little bit when it comes to scripture and things of that nature. Um, but I definitely want to thank you guys so much for listening. If you listen to this podcast and you're like, man, that guy is weird. You're absolutely right. If you listen to this <laughs> podcast and you're like, you know what, this guy is really a pastor's kid with all those verses. You're absolutely right as well. This is the Weird Pastors Kid podcast. Thank you guys for listening.